Welcome to Generation Church Sermon Audio. We hope this is a helpful resource for those of you who may have missed a Sunday gathering or for those of you who decided to go back and re-listen to our past teaching time. In this sermon audio, you're going to truly feel what it's like to sit in the audience on a Sunday morning because we, well, we had a small tech mishap. So our sermon audio was recorded through the computer mic rather than the auxiliary mic, which basically means that instead of picking up the audio from the microphone Kyle wears, the audio was picked up from the back of the room where our tech booth is located, and you're going to hear some small conversations, some pin clicks, some computer clicks, but we truly are a church that values progress over perfections. Mistakes are going to take place, but we continue to strive for improvement and for excellence. Thank you for your understanding. Enjoy the following sermon audio. Here we go. Uh, we've been journeying through this series called Known, where we've been looking at Colossians chapter 1. And so we've been having some mic problems. So if you're like, I can't quite hear you through the speakers, that's, that's why we're getting that sorted out. There we go. Uh, so we've been going through this series. But let me take you back to last week specifically. Last week after our Sunday gathering, we had a Next Steps lunch. And this Next Steps lunch was specifically for those who were newer to Generations Church. And in the future, these lunches are going to be extended to everyone. We want everyone to be able to participate because uh, we really want to help those in our church live out the value, progress over perfection. See, we value progress, just like they're tweaking my mic right now. We're not a perfect community. We're not all put together. And so we want to see progress over perfection, which just means is we want to help everybody follow Jesus over the long haul. We, we say it this way, following Jesus is a lifelong journey. And we become more like him when we intentionally take a next step in our faith journey. And so that's what we did at this next step. We talked about what it looks like for those newer to the church to take a next step. And two very important things happened at this lunch. The first is that we had six new people decide to join the Generations team. So come on, clap for that. That's exciting. Yes, I want this to be my church. It's an exciting thing that's happening here. And so we want to celebrate what God is doing. And every single couple or person that got connected with the church, it was so cool as we went around the room. And every one of them said, I got connected from a mailer or from social media or from an invitation of a friend or a loved one. And it was so incredible to hear how all the stories led them to a place where they connected with other people and they felt like they could help and that they could connect with God right here at Generations Church. The second thing that happened at this next lunch is some very important deep work paid off. Deep work. Now you're like, what, what do you mean? So over the last couple months, we've been praying about Baptism Sunday. That's today. And in preparation for Baptism Sunday, some people on my staff team have been encouraging me, oh, God, we should do a dunk tank for Baptism Sunday. That would be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And every time they'd say, we should do a dunk tank, I'd be like, no, we're not doing a dunk tank. We're not doing a dunk tank. And they were, oh, Kyle, we, we got to do a duck tank. We, we got to do a duck tank. And so they just get every passing conversation as we prayed over this day, as we talked about it. Well, at the next steps lunch, as I mentioned that today was Baptism Sunday, and in full stride, I said, hey, guys, and next week we're going to have a duck tank for Baptism <laughs> Sunday. And I just kept, and I, I just stopped. I was so mad. <laughs> because they're, 
their conversation about, oh, God, we should have it done, we should have it, it paid off. So in stride, in front of a group of people who were inviting to take this next step to, to connect with Generations Church, I said we were going to have a dunk tank. As you can see, over to your left, my right, we do not have a dunk tank today. So, so, oh, sorry, so to answer that question. But their collaborative and repetitive efforts finally pay, paid off because it embedded something in my mind. The repetitive nature. The continual, how we should do this, we should do this, and just they can, and they were in unison. They were unified. It was was it was deep work. It was a conspiracy. Staff team got me good, but a unified collaborative effort is effective. And while we can laugh about the dunk tank, we know the truth is that truth that it's collaborative, unified effort, and that it's effective. We know that to be beautifully true. Or effectively dangerous. And so what we submit our minds and hearts to on a consistent basis matters. And as we've started on our journey in this book of Colossians, which is a letter written to a church in Colossae in the first century, Paul goes on to remind the Colossian believers of that exact truth. We must be aware of the faulty maps that attempt to coerce us into being less human. We must also be guided by the map that God gives us, which is Jesus himself. And we must submit our souls to him, to his guidance, to his will and his way on a repetitive basis so that Jesus' life, his character, his priorities begin to shape us in a deep and profound way. And so God doesn't hide the best way to be human from us. He gives it to us in Jesus. Moreover, he invites us to be secure in Jesus and then send out into the world so to make the mystery made known to others. John read us our text this morning. And so in this letter to his spiritual grandkids, Paul gives us an extended greeting of thanks. Specifically, Paul says that he thanks God the Father and if you've read ahead in this letter at all, if you just are opening your Bible and you're just skimming through, you know that most of this first chapter is centered on Jesus and who Jesus is. Well, what Paul, in this prayer of thanksgiving, right at the outset here at verse 3, what he wants us to know is that the whole reason Jesus came and walked on this earth, walked once, is because God the Father has sent him. And we should be thankful for that. And so Paul doesn't want to overlook that it is the Father who sent Jesus into the world. And so while this message isn't explicitly on prayer this morning, we shouldn't deny the importance of being thankful when we pray. We should notice where God is at work in the world and be thankful. That's why in some of the lead-ups prior to this week, uh, some of our early preview services, we challenged our church community to be posting just things that you're thankful for on social media. Then look where, where, whether has God has shaped your life, or just even in the outwork in the lives of others. We should be out, we should actively be looking for where God is at work and noticing it. Because this comes back to our truth. That when we're unified and it's collaborative and it's repetitive, it will be effective. Right. And when we look out into the world, we have to have the confidence that God is at work. 
Therefore, we should notice and begin to share where we see God at work, even if it's in the small things. You won't go today. You're able to get a warm cup of coffee. You had a bed to sleep on. Someone texted you, said, hey, we love you. We're praying for you. We need to notice those things and be actively sharing that. Because not all of us are in great situations. Not all of us are, are in, I said, you know, it's like it's not always roses and peaches and feel goods. And so sometimes we have to remind each other that God is at work and that God has not forgotten you. So Paul continues in verse 4 why he is thankful for this church in particular. He's heard about three verses or three virtues of their church, and they are faith, hope, and love. And remember, this isn't a church that Paul started or visited, but their habits and their speech made its way to Paul thousands of miles away. Now, this is the first century. They don't have phone calls or social media or texting. So the way in which that these three virtues of this church community made their way to Paul is because they actually lived them. They had a deep and profound faith in who Jesus was. They had a love for others that was so effective that people couldn't help but know. So first, Paul has heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. And it's not just in a God or faith in the universe, but a specific faith in Jesus. The, the way I think about faith, as I come to commonly just describe it and illustrate it, is faith like it is kind of like a chair. Here's what I mean by that. So there's a chair right here, and you all are sitting in chairs. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe that chair exists. It's another thing to look at the chair entirely and say, I think that'll hold me if I sit down. It's a whole other thing entirely to say, I trust the chair to hold me when I sit down and put my full weight into it. And when we use that word faith in Christ Jesus, we're talking about putting your full weight into following Jesus. doesn't mean you have to be perfect or always proficient. But the goal is to throw your full weight into Jesus and doing it over time. And Paul heard about this faith from this church, that they consistently put their money where their mouth was. They consistently put their life where their mouth was. And put their full weight of their life in the following Jesus. Second, Paul heard has heard of their love for all the saints. Some translations say, like, all people. And all means all. All means all. Specifically, Paul hones in, though, on this talking about other Christians, other followers of Jesus that come across their path. Not just the people they get along with, but the people whom they have very real differences with. Which means that for this love to make its way to clear Paul, it's mean they had to be present with people. They had to advocate for them. They had to have a commitment to seeing them grow in Christ's likeness. Providing for needs. Showing up on a Thursday morning, when someone say, I'm depressed and not feeling very well. Not just saying, hey, praying for you, but figuring out a way to physically go see them and maybe just simply sit with them. 
And the reason why Paul focuses in on the love specifically within the church is because a love within communicates a radically different lifestyle to those who are outside the church. See, it's never what can you do for me. It's a love that gives, not a love that looks to give. It's a radical care that has made the watching world take notice and go, I want to be a part of that. Where do I get care like that? How do I find friendship like that? That's why we liken our church oftentimes to a camper. This beautiful picture of people saying, I got your back. We're united around Jesus. And we're in this together. So our hope and our goal for Generations Church, even as we're getting started here for weekly services, is that our care, our faith, our love does not stop as we gather together, but truly translates into those Tuesdays. There's Wednesdays, and there's Thursdays. And so third, Paul gives us the driving factor of this faith and of this love. And it is a hope in heaven. So the Colossians were faced with a teaching that led them to wonder, could Christ really supply all of my needs? Can I really trust and follow Jesus? Can I really throw my full weight behind him and have that really provide some satisfaction, provide that approval, or provide a level of sense of identity and self-worth? Is that really true? And they begin to doubt, and so what Paul reminds them that their present experience of faith and love rests on the solid foundation of what God has permitted to do for them in the future. And that's the gospel. So in short, whether you're a believer or a non-believer here this morning, here is this word gospel and what it means when we throw that around in the church. It's, it's simply this. It's the announcement that Jesus is God's chosen one, the Messiah, who's the true Lord, who saves by making all things right. And this Messiah lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose three days later, and then ascended to the Father to secure an eternal inheritance for us. And he's going to come back to make all things new. So the present experiences of this world, this brokenness, this relational friction, things not going exactly as they seem, God promises to make that right. And this is the hope that we have to hang our hat on. That Paul wants the Colossians to be reminded that it's not about what you do, but it's about what Christ did and what he will do in the future. And so salvation, our opportunity to be entered into this, comes within that message. So we can inherit this beautiful eternity when we put our trust in Jesus. That's why we, we talk about baptism. It's the beautiful picture of putting your trust in Jesus. Some of you here today have never made that step, and you didn't even walk in this room prepared to take that step. Let me just say this. If God has placed that on your heart this morning, don't don't push that feeling down. Don't push that response down. Let's talk about it, and let's celebrate together 
Because that is a step worth taking. Because what you're saying to everyone gathered here is that my hope, my trust, the full weight of my life is no longer going to be put into my self-effort or what I can accumulate, but in Jesus. So hope is a source of their faith. Their hope came when they heard the gospel. This true word, it can be relied upon. And when we don't put our full weight into that chair that is Christ, we won't exhibit the same faith and love that this church has become known for. So here's the implication. This gospel gives hope that brings faith that results in love. Paul prays to God and is thankful for this. And this is why he called them faithful back in verse 2. So Christian hope is contained in the gospel that Jesus now rules but will eventually assert his rule over all. So what we have to do is remember that. And so I'm going to give you two habits to help us remember that. I'm going to give you an everyday habit and then a Sunday habit. Something we do together each and every week on a Sunday and then something that you could take and apply on Monday. And so... Living with a hope that evokes faith and motivates love, it will disrupt the norms of our world. One of the norms that it disrupts is this materialistic account of provision. We expect things when, when we just expect things to show up. Think of Amazon, think of uh, fast food. When we want something, we should get it. Let me, let me ask a question. How many of you feel comfortable praying a prayer before a meal at home you can raise your hand you don't have to i'm raising my hand just say okay how about how about at a, a restaurant publicly okay we've got some confident people i have one friend who every time he goes out to a restaurant and prays he tries to time it so that the waitress or waiter is like not around and the reason why is because he feels like he he just doesn't want to impose his religion on them and he, it says, how he described it to me, is he said, it just it makes me feel guilty when the server is waiting on me, like, and we're sitting there praying, and it's just, it's, it feels like I'm being rude, is, is how he, he describes it. And he, it's funny, because then, then I, I push back, those of you who know me, I'll ask some really good, good questions, and we'll dive into this, and he says, you know, besides, I tell myself, it doesn't even matter if I pray for the food. I pay for it, I know I'm grateful, and if I'm in a hurry, the necessity of saying prayer is just legalism, right? It's just an empty ritual that actually makes me less grateful. In the moment, especially when I'm hungry, it's much easier to start right in on the food, and maybe I feel guilty, I'll, I'll pray something silently. And we had this conversation, and that was some of what he shared with me. And so praying over public, over a meal, can cause this mental back and forth that I described. And no small part of this discomfort stems from the rise of what's called secularism in our country. See, our society's broad assumption is that religious experience belongs in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, but it doesn't belong in the booth at Applebee's. And if we are followers of Jesus, it absolutely does. In Disruptive Witness, author Alan Noble writes, Public displays of religion are more offensive than public displays of affection, which I think partially explains some of Americans' reactions to Muslims who say daily prayers. 
For many Americans, seeing someone practice religion in public feels a bit like watching the inebriated or mentally unstable in public. What are they going to do next? Why aren't they being rational? Why couldn't they keep this to themselves? Which is one reason why saying prayer can be a testament to a watching world that our faith is not personal preference, that we keep discreetly hidden behind our normal public life. If our public prayers or any other public display of faith ceases to be primary about the spiritual purpose, in this case, thanking God for his provision, and instead becomes about what others uh, think when they see us, then we exchange the purpose of the thing for the appearance of the thing. Our motive ought to be gratitude of God, not seeking attention. And when we do this in front of a watching world, they will take note. And if we find ourselves actually avoiding public prayers because it feels socially awkward, or because it feels like we're imposing our faith on our neighbors, we need to be able to call the avoidance what it actually is. It's a capitulation to the idea of the public square that religion, faith, is not worth putting your full weight. Prayer challenge. Prayer challenges the materialistic account of provision. So what is uncommon is the view that whatever food lies before us is a gift from a personal God who provides for us because he loves us. And the more divorced we become from cultivation of crops and animals, and the more mechanical and manufactured our food appears to us, the less we see it as a gift. Think, for example, of the fact when you go to store, the store, you expect to find the same produce year-round at that store. And when they don't have your blueberries or strawberries or grapes or bananas or any other vegetables, you get frustrated. And it's because we feel like humanity has mastered nature. And we owe humanity no gratitude, just a monetary compensation. This, of course, makes the act of giving thanks to God all the more disruptive. And Paul refuses to take for granted the faith, love, and hope of this Colossian church. Just a consistent prayer before a meal may remind us of our dependence on God. And there is a consistent reminder that each week we can be reminded, each meal we can be reminded of the hope that we have in heaven. So that it evokes faith and brings life. And so that's your everyday habit, just simply praying before a meal. The second habit is a Sunday habit. And we do this each and every week here at Generations Church, and we call this communion. It is the fact that we say Christ has lived, Christ has died, and Christ has risen, and Christ will come. Again, say that with me. Christ has lived. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. There we go. We got some move, we got some movement in there. And all that does is I just four things simply. As we just swept through time, the past where Christ has died and where he rose again in the present in which we proclaim that truth and the future that we anticipate. 
And we get a call back for our own. In That's why we take a little piece of bread and some juice to remind ourselves that our life is a gift. That our hope secured for us in heaven is a gift, and it's a gift that comes from Jesus. And this understanding of faith defies our present time because our hope is thoroughly external, even as it resonates inside. The mystery of faith is in Christ's actions and history in the present and in the future. And the public proclamation of this together, combined with the bread and juice, enacts this faith so that it is not individual or private, but it affects us personally. And so, as we think about this, this ritual, we could actually skip it for many of us. And eating and drinking, though, we mysteriously and spiritually begin to truly enjoy Christ. And it has real effects on us. That's why each time as we gather, we have a time called response, where we invite you to take that juice and that breath to remind you of who Jesus is and how he wants to affect your everyday life. And oftentimes when we get to that time, I know how it can be. You've, you've heard a sermon. We've sung some songs. And the temptation can be to pull up your phone and check your fantasy football team. <laughs> or to see who's texting you. And it's because we've become so consumed with the present. When our soul longs to be drawn to the transcendent. But Jesus, who walked on this earth, who loves us, who died for us, and wants to affect every aspect of our lives. At the start of today's message, I joked about deep implanting of a dunk tank within my mind. But see, when a unified church collaboratively and repetitively has a hope that evokes a faith and a love for all, we will begin to see a move of God. And it starts with a consistent and unified people repetitively reflecting on Jesus each and every week, submitting our minds and hearts to Jesus. So here's your practical this week. Before every meal, pray. Not because you paid for the meal, but because Jesus paid for your sin. What sustains you bodily is the food. What sustains your faith and love for all people is the hope of heaven. And just maybe, as more people live with the faith and this love, that we'll begin to experience a taste of heaven on earth. Father, we come to you right now. Prayer is not something that we do just to simply transition from one thing to the next. But it's because we know that we need your intervention in our lives. And we get caught up with thinking about other things. We get caught up with just distraction. God, I'm just thankful that you weren't distracted. 
that you sent your son Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for the example of the Colossian church. For Paul writing to them to encourage us to have a faith and a love that's rooted in the hope of heaven. All thank you. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name.